think I thought we could mix it up this week and I could bring in a science topic. <laughs> no, no science <laughs> topics for you, Josh. <laughs> you are banned from attempting science. I swear it's really well researched. Uh, okay, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to start with? I saw John Glenn fly into space, this space, this space. I flown in space. I'm a NASA astronaut. I'm in space station. Like coffee. I came back to Earth. Hello and good evening. My name is Josh, and I'm joined as always by Bob and Ed. And we're the folks who are going to be the bottom of that. It's reason and the unreasonable makes that nonsense because this is okay. Hear me out. And Bob, how are you all doing this evening? Fantastic. Um, man, how are you feeling tonight, Josh? Jeez, the, the one question I'm not ready for. <laughs> Might as well start out with a gun to, gun to the head, Josh. How are you feeling tonight? <laughs> Tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm feeling uh, very excited. It's been a while since we've had just a Bob and Josh episode. Nothing we can really... Uh, without Aaron here, we can do some real good, 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 good science communication. I feel almost unconstrained by not having him here. It's kind of nice. Just a little bit. But he will be back. He's off in Singapore. Um, and if you guys want to call in, you can always leave us a voicemail at 1-833-666-911. Again, that's 1-833-666-0911. And tonight I have... Tell us about what made up definitely not part of China countries that you're traveling to right now. <laughs> okay, let's not dive into geopolitics. So let's jump directly into the UK. <laughs> um this is kind of like a a follow-up to topic a topic that we've covered before and we've talked about extensively fluoride in the water but first we need to give you a little bit of context because the uk is having a a bad time right now i don't know if you've been keeping up with the news josh have you do you know what's what's happening in the uk big news headlines everywhere big news huge i sort of heard nothing about it out of the uk in a i while. can't believe it okay anyway like do they do they have do they bring back prince harry and princess megan is are brought back to the royal family i have the fuck i what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> wait there's big news out of the uk that's not related to the monarchy absolutely if you hadn't seen the news go on the big breaking news is that the United Kingdom is suffering a dental hygiene crisis. <laughs> Bob, um, what? You know, we, we we talk a lot about fantastical science solutions on this show, like the Royal Rifle Machine. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. We we talk a lot about how history is a hoax. But uh, I I hate to inform you, um, but this is not the year 1965, Bob. This is not breaking news. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> anyway, so the UK is having a bit of a problem, uh, partly because of their 
the NIH system, which is their national health services, and partly because NHS, yeah, yeah. they don't have enough fluoride in their water. <laughs> so let's dive into it. Okay. This article here titled, Where I Live, Many People Don't Have Teeth. Dentists in England are uh, given cash incentives to take on new NHS patients under government plans to improve access. And those willing to work in areas with the fewest dentists get a 20,000 pound bonus. Patients explain just how bad it's gotten trying to see uh, an NIH dentist. So it's gotten so bad. This one guy went on uh, social media, like TikTok and stuff like that. Had to pull his own tooth out. And he did it for everyone on the internet to see. And I, I think it's a hilarious story. So there's a picture of a guy here with the pliers in his mouth and a, a tooth with a couple of roots still in it. Very gnarly. Very typically British. Did it even need pulled out or did he just like do it as a bit? Uh, <laughs> well, let's go into this guy's story a little bit. <laughs> See, okay, this is okay, why okay. I wish Aaron was here because like it just goes so far off the rails. They're trying to like warm your like heart up to be like, oh my God, these people are suffering. They have toothaches. They have all these problems and there's no government assistance like helping them uh, to solve their problems so this guy i had to pull out my own tooth uh with a pair of pliers because i couldn't get nih or nhs dentist appointment for the next six months so uh this guy was in agony his back molar became loose causing pain when he ate drank and spoke it was so painful he couldn't even talk because it was that painful so he's 50 years old couldn't get a, uh, an NHS appointment for six months. And he was left with the choice of paying 90 pounds to get his tooth removed privately 30 miles away or at the, uh, at the nearest emergency dentist or taking matters into his own hands. So, Josh, gun to your head. Sure, Bob, question. Bob, I have um, a slight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll start out with this. Yes. I'll entertain your your silly little question. <laughs> let's say $120 with exchange rate. So $130. Let's go even higher. $130 with the exchange rate to to get a tooth pulled out. That's so painful that you can't eat, eat drink, or even speak. And it's a 20-minute drive from your, <laughs> from your place of residence. Would you... Um. Mind you, this guy... Any localized anesthetic? No. Like, are they, they just like... No. Well, I mean, it's the sort of thing, too. Think of it like, how much would you have to pay me to pull my own tooth out? Okay. It's, I, I, I mean, short, short answer, um, yes. <laughs> I'll drive 20 minutes and pay a little bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit is, is that what, sorry is that where you're going with the question <laughs> i'm just saying what would you rather do like pull your tooth out or drive 20 minutes and spend like a like 130 dollars to get a doctor to do it for you or a dentist to do it for you because this this guy is 50 years old probably help sanitize it too they might even give me free gauze right yeah they'll put put some stuff like real... in there make sure it doesn't okay. bleed too much like it, it's that's pretty convenient. So the problem here isn't necessarily that... Now, they do say this. They do claim that the UK has a uh, dentist desert. 
<laughs> believe it or not do they use in so so many words <laughs> yes they actually in the official term yes they they've actually said that oh god but the problem doesn't seem to be every single person that they talk to like this one article pulls up god like 20 25 people that they talk about having problems getting specifically nhs dentist services which is like the government paid for you know healthcare system wait all of but there was a dentist like the nearest emergency dentist he just wasn't like official nhs registry paid for by the government i he's just effectively out of network well it's out of network and also it it appears that i i don't know the specifics of the uh, of the regulations itself but it seems like dentists have like are required to take a certain amount of patients from the uh, nhs program but it, there's a limit to it and oh, i'm assuming that the doctors don't want to do that because they're not getting like enough money but the government is requiring them to take a certain number of them and so they only have a certain like number of nhs spots open for reserve right otherwise you can just be like a completely like private practice but like these fill up these spots for the government yeah. program are the ones that are like booked all the time and it's really hard to find a doctor that's willing to take new government sponsored clients and so that that's it okay, it's just like okay. these people and when they say these things they're like yeah like i i can't get the government assistance it's like well if it's 90 dollars to just go private why don't you just go private this guy was in pain for a, a month like uh, it's insane well bob let's let's put let's put things in perspective um just kind of yeah imagine being in his shoes i, I just want to go through your day and see how difficult it would be for you to make it a dentist in that situation. So, you know, you woke up, went to work this morning. How far did you take the bus to work this morning? Oh, man. that That's a... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't do that. I don't... I don't take public transportation. That's rough. Do, do you work remotely? No, 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 no. Oh, sorry. You took the train no. to work. Oh, <laughs> no, oh, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> you, mis- you misunderstood me. I drive a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> So, it, okay, so they break it down, too. Uh, the appointment at a private dentist would have cost him 40 pounds for a checkup <laughs> and up to 50 pounds for the removal, which this guy could not afford. Wait, wait, wait. That's like a that's like a copay if you have insurance. What are you fucking talking about? Right. I was looking at, the, at those prices like, that's very cheap. What are you talking about? Like, that is like dirt cheap uh, dentistry coming at you right there Wait, are we just getting scammed in america for how much we're paying for <laughs> dental care i think so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shit um so in the wake of this instead of you know changing the regulations paying doctors more money for uh, uh nhs patients and stuff like that and incentivize like giving them better incentives to actually want to take nhs patients uh, the government has decided in a controversial controversial move to do a the most comprehensive expansion of fluoridation to water supply in the history of the United Kingdom since like the 60s or something the government is proposing because like this this dentist desert which doesn't exist it's just dentist NIH or NHS desert uh because of this, they are like, well, instead of like actually paying dentists more money for 
taking the government, you know, patients, we're just going to increase the amount of fluoride that we're going to start distributing to, um, like cities and stuff like that. And they, they even focus in on, they want to deliver fluoride to like the most impacted areas where people, you know, what I'm assuming is like low income areas. Right. I, uh, um, did they, what was the process they went through to come to the, to the decision of choosing fluoride, uh, as the solution? Like, like, for example, did they have a committee have like a, you know, some slides and like, Oh, it, it, instead we could, uh, send out, um, this many educators to all the schools, like put in the curriculum, teach kids how to brush their teeth, uh, twice a day or something like that. Um, or, and see what the cost is there versus fluoride. It's it's basically a cost analysis thing. They drum up uh, kind of like a controversy in the news real quick, and then they have to like make a plan to solve this controversy. And so they're like, well, the cheapest way to do this is to start pumping fluoride into the water supply in these areas that are most affected with like tooth decay and stuff like that and poor dental hygiene, obviously. But they, they just neglect to ever say anything negative about it. The only thing that the government says that there could be a potential problem um, uh, with adding fluoride into the water is that in children that are developing their teeth, like as they're growing growing up and stuff like that, if they're if their teeth are over fluorinated, it'll start creating like white lines in their teeth. That's it. It's just like. They, yeah, is that fluoridosis? Is that what it's called? Something, something like that. Yes. Um, let me see. I I pull it up. Oh, I can't find it. But it it's it's something like that. And it it they literally didn't describe Fluorosis, it. That's it. They didn't describe it as something that's like uh you know it it fundamentally breaks down the tooth like over a longer period of time. Like it's just like a visual thing that they're talking about here. Uh, and they're like, well. That's why. Oh, oh, um, sorry, they they think um, Britain, the UK citizens, have a problem with poor teeth visuals. <laughs> the, the, has the NHS director stepped outside <laughs> or turned on the TV in the last fifty years? 60 yeah. years? Um. No, it's perfect because they go in here. Fluoridation is considered to be a low-cost, high-impact public health initiative as it is a passive and not reliant on people actively changing their behavior compared to encouraging them to stop smoking, exercising, uh, exercising more, or eat healthier food. Like, is you're not trying to, like, change someone's habits, basically. And, yeah. Um, oh, okay, so... The effect they they warned about with fluoride is that um, this where a child has too much fluoride while their teeth are developing, causing very white lines to appear on the tooth when mild and discoloration of the teeth when severe. That's exactly how it was written. It was, (laughs) I think there was a typo in there somewhere. It's partly the thanks dailymail.co.uk exactly. It's partly the reason uh, that the World Health Organization recommends that fluoride in drinking supplies should not go above one point five mg per liter. So thank you, World Health Organization, for setting the bar on fluoride uh, fluoride uh, distribution. So this is great. Um, They completely neglect the fact that 
people have brought up studies, uh, the study that we specifically covered that takes, you know, it, it was a quantitative study, right, Josh, where it took like hundreds. Yeah, so this giant, giant meta-analysis, yes. they've have like huge population sets of data over the course of decades and decades. Um, so it, it, it seems like it's pretty reliable. Yeah. So they downplay that and dramatically <laughs> oh well i guess uh, sorry i thought you were gonna explain what it actually it, it said it lowers iq points yes like yeah. that's that's what it makes it does. people docile and dumb <laughs> that's what it does but they they downplay it entirely they, they go the nhs uh and experts like the government's chief medical officer sir chris witty say that the claims that uh these claims are not backed up by evidence uh, with the latter previously describing them as exaggerated and unevidenced, so <laughs> would you would you agree with that, Josh? Hey, hey, look look on the bright. Uh, I wouldn't, but look on the bright side. Um, <clears throat> uh, low IQ people are more likely to be- believe conspiracy theories. Bob, we have a whole new audience now. We we can go on tour in the UK. Oh oh no! Don't 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 put it like that. <laughs> We have the smartest fans. Homo Nation. We have the smartest <laughs> listeners out there, everyone. Don't listen to Josh. But we could have more listeners. <laughs> Just in general. Oy vey. <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of interesting because um, apparently the UK doesn't do a lot of fluoride distribution as of right now and the big increase was back in like the yeah look, look at this little map here the 80s it was back in not the 60s but only one in ten uh people in the UK have fluoride in their uh drinking supply which is very low considering um I believe Australia was nine out of ten and uh America was uh I think three quarters of the population has flo- colonies get all the good stuff man yeah. yeah yeah so only three quarters in america which is yeah that's great i i mean i'm i'm in that 25 percent. good for you Bob. <laughs> good for you <laughs> but yeah uh and, and then they make a way it's gonna come out that they're fluoridating forward, the water anyways and just lying to you <sighs> oh gee great but yeah they also bring up um robert f kennedy jr I thought this was pretty funny because he was in a recent like talk and he was saying that fluoride is a ner- Pres- presidential candidate RFK Jr. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um he was saying he made his public statement saying that fluoride is a neurotoxin, which it is. <laughs> and they're like, "No, no, that that's all silly talk." Yeah. So, and it's funny because with this proposal by the government, the critics to this proposal Say it doesn't go far enough, which is, I think, is hilarious. I don't know if they're referring to... I, but the WHO put a limit on yeah. it. Like, what's <laughs> what would going farther look like? I don't, I don't know if it's uh, in regard to, like, how much fluoride they're putting in the water or how many people they're they're distributing, distributing that water to. Um, I, I think it's necessarily more along the lines of, hey, we need to actually, like, pay dentists to take... NHS cases more than anything because there's just there's no lack of dentists from what I understand there's a lack of dentists willing to take NHS insurance money for their work which is completely reasonable I'm sure it pays like much less than like private practice would so um the 
I, I, I also would like to point out the lack of uh, $40 in dispensable income that seems to be widespread in the UK. Like, I can understand for particularly low-income areas, um, but, and, it, it, like, an emergency dental visit costing, like, 100 bucks for, you know, it's pulling the tooth. It's not proper treatment, but that's a, that, that's nothing. You're not going in five figures of medical debt like you do doing yeah. anything in the U.S. Yeah, it's literally nothing at all. Like, dude, if you need, if you have pain in your mouth for like a month and you can't even talk or like eat or drink, like, I just take, just take the day and, you know. Do we, so I, I know that that guy didn't like go to the dentist, so we don't know. But do we know what's actually wrong with people's teeth in the U.K.? Like, is it something that, uh, so so fluoride is a my understanding for teeth it's it's effectively a hardening agent it's going to make your teeth slightly stronger is the idea right um is that what, what's even wrong with people's teeth they don't teeth? they don't like, like is it going to even potentially address the problem they don't address that like whatsoever i don't know if it's like it, it could be anything you know it could be a cultural thing it could just be you know what i mean i have i have no fucking clue why they choose to be like so unhygienic in that area it's just it's baffling to me it's like just fucking brush your teeth twice a day like what's what the fuck is wrong with you people just like if you want to go further just put a, a ban on candy or something i don't know <laughs> like kids aren't allowed of candy in schools <sighs> that's the last thing that they want to do what are you what are you talking about <laughs> they want to hype you up on sugar and then dumb you down with fluoride in your water so i obviously they, they don't want the diabetes too. Come on. This is a huge ploy because obviously oh, sorry, the, the, yeah. the people that need these and that are being affected by this in a, uh, this manufactured NHS, um, like crisis are poor people, right? Those are the only people being affected by it, like lower income. And so it's just their ploy to make the poor, dumb people of their country, even poorer and even dumber. Well, just dumber in this case. Um, to take advantage of them because they need the they need them more docile like out of every country the uk is like one of the most docile the government does what it does it doesn't care what the the people say right they make laws for everything can't fucking do anything there that's not regulated so i mean they totally live in a subservient state over there and it's only you know with this moving forward it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of opposition to it, but with this moving forward, it seems like it, they're only going to become more docile and more authoritative in that country. So they're ramping it up a, into high gear. I'm just proud to know that the U.S. was on the cutting edge of something. <laughs> um, did we know, like, who, who's paying for the fluoride in the water? Is it the NHS or is it some other gov- government agency? Uh, they they did not say that. I doubt it would be the NHS specifically because that's just, like, the health insurance protocol. I think it would I think it would just come out of, like, some generic um, water, like, whatever the water treatment budget might be. But. Okay. Yeah. So that's it. the The Brits are about to become. There's going to be no more Brexit, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want Wait, that to I happen. I thought Brexit was the psyop. No, it's definitely not the psyop. The fucking fluoride in the water is the psyop. But yeah, <laughs> it was the turning point. It was the Brexit was the when um, the ruling class realized that democracy didn't work, right? In 2016, they're like, well, maybe we should be making these decisions for you because this is the best decision. 
and the the people said no. <laughs> so they're fixing it. Yeah, it's probably good a good uh, trajectory not to be the EU the last couple of next few years, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's my topic. What do you got? On a, a you know slightly less um, less dire, less sobering of news. So if you'll recall uh, last week, two weeks ago, um, at the end of the episode, we're having a discussion with our good buddy John Kerwin, and he had a question for me, and I was caught flat-footed. <clears throat> he asked me if I believe in satellites. Yeah. And I do, but he had, he had, he had a, a big explanation, or I guess we'll believe in the ISS specifically. Right. And he, he had this this great whole explanation of, uh, oh, it's extremely hot in the thermosphere, and where the, the ISS is, and it, you know it is located there, right in the middle of the th- thermosphere. Um, and what's the ISS made out of uh, primarily? You know, a bunch of aluminum melts at super low temperature. Um, so why isn't it just a, a molten pile of aluminum? Uh, great question. Great question. Really, it's uh, really, really makes makes one think, makes one ponder the mysteries of space, the mysteries of the universe. Uh, Bob, did you are you familiar with uh, kind of this whole problem and the whole thermodynamics of this and what what potentially uh, you know if there is a rebuttal or solution to uh, Mr. Kerwin's question? Um, I I know there's like a fundamental lack of there's something missing. There. I couldn't explain why. But I knew, like, it wasn't something to, like, take really into consideration. It's, like, obviously that that wouldn't be real. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, let me, let me ask a, a little more fundamental question. So, we have the ISS, the International Space Station. Uh, if, if you're not going to describe specifically the thermosphere or some, you know, outer atmospheric layer, uh, where would you describe the ISS as being in just extremely general terms? Just in space. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, uh, what what is kind of one of the, the most characteristic things about space? That there's no atmosphere? Yes, that there's no <laughs> I'm, atmosphere. I'm now, nailing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I swear, Aaron's never gotten one of my leading questions because they're so dumb. You got them perfectly. <laughs> The first try. I was nervous. I was like, oh my god, like what? (laughs) (laughs) Aaron's just a fucking Um, retard. That's that's, that's his problem. (laughs) I mean, that's really the the, the fundamental uh, point of this argument of what's going on here. Where, um, you know, they describe space as being super cold in some areas and super hot. And like, what do you mean it's super cold or super hot? That's like... A temp- it's like 5,000 degrees or negative 200 degrees. What, what's going on? Yeah. It's uh, it's space. There's not like a temperature to measure There's because that's the motion of a particle and like the, the average motion of a particle. Well, there are none of those. <laughs> um, it, I mean, sure, there, there's heat transfer due to radiation from the sun and, you know, everything yes, else going around. That's going, the going only in space. type of heat transfer there is. It's like pointing like a laser light. It's like just pointing a really powerful light on the ISS. Like why 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 would that melt the ISS? I don't get it. Okay, go go ahead. It it wouldn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And like, you know, there's So the thermosphere, it's outside the ozone layer. It's kind of it's an upper layer of the atmosphere. There's some atmosphere, 
the atmosphere that exists it's like a, it's a similar composition to what we got down here you know some nitrogen some oxygen some hydrogen all that fun stuff and, uh, okay. but it's uh it's extremely thin and it, it, like if you want to put it in context too like sure aluminum is a good conductor sure it like heats up easily but right. for extremely thin air um there's just zero thermal energy cumulatively that can actually transfer to the aluminum to heat it up and like melt it so yeah. it's it's like sure if you the thermosphere is hot sure if like under the right circumstances there could be damage or heat transfer to the aluminum that damages it but um under any sort of regular circumstances uh across the whole thermosphere it's not going to happen so you, you said the thermosphere was thin like relatively how thin did you get like an estimate or an oh, approximation shit god damn it i i looked this up like two weeks ago <laughs> i i swear i have it written down somewhere uh let me let me do a quick google but i i want to say it's um on the order of like 10 percent uh the density of like by by earth oh i was thinking more of like a like a distance measurement like how many like miles or you know feet you would have to travel to like get through it if you were going in like a straight line at the shortest point kind of thing but no i mean that that's totally fine but is that the layer that that the iss is orbiting in then it is yes okay and there's just it's it's like basically no atmosphere but they're also claiming that that atmosphere is also like several thousand degrees oh. yeah it's it's even less than that yeah so they claim that it can reach the gas can reach up to 2,500 degrees Celsius, but it's extremely low density. Uh, practically a hard vacuum, in parentheses, is what Wikipedia says. Practically a hard vacuum. Okay, yeah. So that means... it's, it's yeah. uh, So it, it describes it kind of as you'd expect, uh, or as it might be intuitive. It's an exponential decrease in density with uh, distance from the Earth. Um, right. So if you just think of spherical geometry and gravity... I, I'm sure I can write it out. It, it kind of makes sense, but like exponential that high, uh, how high is it? It's many, many miles, but a uh, 50, like it starts 50 miles up. The ISS is about a hundred miles up, um, or a hundred to 200, 200 miles up. Oh, uh, oh. so it's effectively a vacuum. <laughs> yeah. So to give a little bit of context, like if the ISS is traveling through this atmosphere, like temperature is typically regarded at, at a particle level of the the quantity and the velocity of of those particles in the in the atmosphere. And so when it gets really hot, uh, you have a lot of particles moving really fast. Um, so if you remove the amount of particles from the equation, it, if you make that zero, it all goes to zero. So there's kind of the yeah. I mean, it's the correlation to it. It's, it's like simpler than that. It's, the particles would be going extremely fucking fast up there, but it's like only a few of them are like are hitting the surface of the aluminum to transfer the the heat to it. So it's just like not sure you you have you have temperatures, you have heat, but just think of it as like the transfer like it's the transfer of energy from the air to the aluminum. If you sum up the total energy over all of these particles, it's not enough energy to heat up the aluminum to actually melt. Correct. Yeah. Like so, so what if the individual particles can be heat, heated up that high? The aluminum can't. Yes. All right. Debunked. Fucking. So that's dumb. that's my follow up. 
Fucking dumb uh, flat earthers. John, if you hate me, please eight thirty three six 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 zero nine eleven. That's that's, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> nice shout out. I love it. All right. Now, speaking of gas, I have something else. Uh, actually, let's let's start with the clip. I think that'll give the the perfect background for what I want to delve into and what I want to talk about. Henry Ford the visionary father of the modern auto industry grew up on a farm outside of Detroit. Maybe that's why he designed his Model T to run on ethanol alcohol, a fuel made from corn. White lightning, moonshine. Ford's alcohol captured 25% of the fuel market in the Midwest. Now when he did that, red flags went up at Standard Oil. John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil, started funding an amendment that would become known as Prohibition. That one law shut down all alcohol production in the U.S., including ethanol alcohol. For 12 of the 13 years of Prohibition, Ford continued to produce ethanol-compatible cars. And then he gave up. Oh, man. I did not know that. Anyway... Yeah, so what what do you know about the Model T and the Model T carburetor? Like and anything? Not much. I I thought they had like a fuel version and then like a steam version. I could be totally wrong, but I honestly at the end of the day, I don't know a whole lot about Model Ts. There are people much more equipped to answer those types of questions, but so in, educate me if you would. Um so with with the Model T and kind of on the market at the time, um, so Model T came out early 1900s. It came out probably about 10, 15 years before Prohibition um, and okay. it was on the market that whole time. And uh, as was mentioned in the little clip, was a significant part of um, you know the, the car and fuel industry at the time. Uh, but in, in the market and you know compatible with Model T as regular products were uh, about a, you know, 10, 15 different types of different carburetors. Um, and, but all of those were designed for regular gasoline, regular. Was it, did they have unleaded gas back there? Uh, pro- probably unleaded gas. I don't know if it's probably let it. Whatever. Let's, let's be real. <laughs> let it, excuse me. Yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yes. Um, uh, uh, so, um, okay. It doesn't seem like it was designed to be used with ethanol. Um, however, Ford had made, uh, there, there was a Ford tractor product that was, uh, more, that was compatible with ethanol or intentionally designed with, uh, understanding that farmers would have more ready access to, um, corn derived fuel. Uh, so like there's a little bit of context there. Um, the other thing is to that, although the Model T wasn't designed to be used with ethanol, it still likely was compatible with ethanol and uh as you know as evidenced by a couple different things there um there were at the time uh a bunch of instances of fuel being cut with with other fuels and additives um such as kerosene and probably at times ethanol too um mm-hmm. to uh you know to yeah to cut it to spread it thin to um uh to make it cheaper all that and um, you know, similar to what we do today. And they, they had ethanol fuel production in a similar um, sort of, uh, I don't know capacity, but similar level sophistication, let's say, to what we have today. And um, 
yeah, so with that, we kind of have a bunch of things in front of us. It's probably possible. He wasn't technically designed to do it. Prohibition did happen kind of like in the middle of the Model T lifespan and would have shut down any ethanol fuel uh, consumption, which probably would have been a significant part of, um, you know, which would have been a significant cut into the fuel market and would have been a significant um, factor of alcohol production overall. So... Do things seem fishy yet? Do you see like what what stands out as a red flag to you? Um, I don't know if I necessarily because like we still put ethanol into our fuel like to this day, um, at like five, ten, fifteen percent blends. I don't, from my experience with things, especially with like modern cars, like if you go on specific engines stuff like that, they're they don't take ethanol well, and I don't know if you can design an engine to take ethanol better than say like, you know, regular gasoline or, you know, because kerosene is very close to diesel and diesel is like very close to jet fuel Mm -hmm. basically. And like, they're all like very similar things at the end of the day. Um, And I don't see how ethanol sits in there. I, I don't necessarily believe that they were pushing like ethanol engines this whole time. I, I, I just don't. I don't know. Okay. Um. And so you you think it's because of a I guess a technological limitation or that ethanol is not a proper substitution like one to one for uh, you know, other major fuels. Right. I I think you're. I think you. There's not enough like uh, pros over cons like when switching to it. Um. Because like I I do know that like they tried like the steam car engines and stuff like that. So I I don't know. I highly doubt it. I I don't have too many red flags about the idea that we've moved to gasoline because it it just had more con or it had had more pros than cons. That that's just like but I don't I don't I don't know. I like I said, it, I'm willing to be convinced. No, no, that that's good. So, um with that there kind of how how I've seen it described in a, in a couple different articles and, and blogs and whatnot for using different fuels with the same car is that the Model T had like a little a dial or knob um, for uh, kind of manually adjusting uh, some of the, the gas mixture in the carburetor, like gas air mixture in the carburetor, like what proportions it would do. So it'd be like compatible with different densities of fuel. Oh, really? Um, is that like a standard thing? That, that seems like it was like uh, just they were still figuring out back then, so the the user had to do some work. <laughs> That's really interesting. I've never heard of that because, like, I do know it's very common to see a boomer over the hood of their car, fucking tinkering with their dumbass carburetor, trying to get like their stupid like you know nineteen seventies whatever to run again. Um, I've never heard of carburetor adjustments like being able to like take place like in in like the cab of the car that's very interesting but if they do then yeah i think it would give more credence to the idea that ethanol could have been used a little bit more um conventionally in that situation okay yeah the there's some conflicting reports on that um because that that was the the explanation behind how cars did fine with the kerosene kerosene mixture um although it was slightly different than regular diesel um mm-hmm. <clears throat> ethanol might be a bit too different and kind of the, the story is that um that it was effectively just flipping a switch and your car could run on ethanol that's that's the the you know, original like tall tale of what happened okay okay but that that seems a bit like a, a bit much maybe um 
and digging into a little bit more uh that seems to have been a an unfounded claim um and kind of looking into it there were this this was the early 20th century there was a lot going on with technology and credibility um at the time this was the era right before royal rife's frequency machine to cure cancer okay okay or (laughs) to get an idea of like what we're looking at no like there were other there was uh what pogue was that his name there there was a um an engineer who's uh, a carburetor designed for the model t supposedly increased fuel efficiency to 300 miles per gallon and just people kept telling the you know legends and stories about it for decades and decades uh based on like one uh you know <laughs> apocryphal tale yeah but um so i i could imagine like you know false stories tall tales rumors being uh spread about about this sort of thing um that weren't necessarily super well founded okay so is this changing your mind in either way uh so far well okay so i'm also thinking that it's it's very common in today's standards like if you tune and modify your car to put um an ethanol fuel system in your car you can get a cheap and easy boost to your horsepower and torque and performance of your car just by switching to an ethanol blend system uh but like typically like i was saying like you have to go like upwards of like 45 maybe 55 percent before you start having problems like w- within your engine itself and the downside to that too is like because you need to like reformat the computer on the car the ecu and it takes you know if you put this on your car you have the same gas tank but all of a sudden you're having to fill up more often so you burn through this stuff much more quicker so i don't know if you have to like increase the amount of fuel that that the injectors are spraying each one so i'm sitting here thinking it's like uh it's commonly used but i don't think technology back then could handle the higher performance the higher intake ratios uh right the uh, higher air intake ratio and fuel and stuff like that with like the technology of cast iron blocks back in the day and the tolerances of the pistons that they could make back then with like how perfect the diameter cut of the bores and stuff like that. Like I, I think there was whoa, whoa, too much whoa. to go these on are there. The, these are the people who innovated plaster and jute and you think they they can't do pistons with uh, millimeter tolerances. Come on, Bob. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? No, now that you put it like that, no, they, they totally had the technology then. <laughs> <laughs> they, they probably had flying cars at the the, the world's fair <laughs> <laughs> ethanol burning flying cars yeah <laughs> ethanol burning fly- yeah clean <laughs> ethanol burning flying cars <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm trying to like think this through on the fly basically because there, there are certain things that i do know about ethanol fuel in modern cars and i don't know how well that translates to early 20th century you know model t's and stuff like that and the technology around vehicles and engines back then so go on um well reading this a bit more and trying to like, get an idea of because it, it's very easy to find conspiracy easy to find theory out there there okay um, as, as we saw in the clip like there's a, a very clear narrative for 
what what went on, what the motivation was. And yes, it is true that uh, Rockefeller was involved with uh, their various funding and lobbying and or various funding and efforts that that supported and Fuck. led into prohibition um, and the <laughs> whatever the so the conspiracy wh- theory is that, right. Uh, women's temperance movement was. That well, fucking dickhead. The, the basis of the, the, the conspiracy theory has some basis. Okay. Um, however, there is uh, where is where is the line? Um, Henry Ford and uh, d- 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 Rockefeller weren't necessarily that um, in in opposition about that. Uh, okay. Yeah, Henry Ford, as an industrialist, worked alongside Rockefeller with the Anti Saloon League. So you know, it, it's, uh, effectively part of um, <clears throat> you know, part of the temperance movement, part of prohibition. Uh, so oh. like. Yeah, he's not necessarily the one selling ethanol, but uh, and that that's so. Ultimately, coming coming down to it, it might have been possible uh, for Model T to run on ethanol. Correct. Uh, yeah, we had about ten or fifteen years of the Model T before Prohibition started, so when people could technically could have been doing this. Okay. Um, evaluating like you know aftermarket third-party custom modified carburetors and whatever else um like those weren't evaluated in anything i read and based on technology it could have been possible to uh you know make something run on ethanol just fine or some some sort of blend at least uh but i don't think it's widespread at all i like (laughs) that's 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 the moral of the story uh sure there's a motivation by rockefeller um sure prohibition happened to line up pretty well with uh you know the height of um sales for the model t but uh and you know how much we love our corn farmers but right right and it's it's pretty shaky ground to stand on to say that ethanol um engines would have been the thing of the future uh especially looking at you know we sure we use some ethanol now uh but that's like cutting with 10 percent just to make it cheaper um at the at the pump right and um yeah that and like what's what's the real benefit there other than just like sure sure uh technically it's our sustainable the sustainably sourced fuel we're not using our dinosaur blood a limit very limited in supply <laughs> fossil fuels to um you know to source ethanol but we seem to stop caring about that about 15 years ago have you heard anything about that in the last 15 years they're running out of oil no no i mean no news breaking headlines no uh climate report regarding something like that no nothing yeah like about 15 years ago i remember seeing some discovery channel special where they were talking about ethanol as the the magical fuel of the future and look it's it's made from corn where we have just infinite amounts of corn everywhere and uh, (laughs) we don't have to rely on limited fossil fuel anymore and then uh after that silence Um, yeah and According to Reuters, according according to uh, so our good fact check buddies at Reuters. Oh, by the way, half, uh, my my initial basis for the ISS does exist was based on Reuters fact checking. Um, <clears throat> uh, U.S. corn based ethanol worse for the climate than gasoline study oh, finds. Oh no! <laughs> this this renewable clean biofuel corn somehow worse. Uh. But it, yeah, as a result of the mandate, corn cultivation grew 8.7% and expanded into 6.9 million additional acres of land. Um, so the, the study uh, broadly cited found ethanol's, ethanol's carbon intensity was lower than gasoline, but they're not taking into account 
the emission impacts of land conversion. It's because farms are terrible. That's why ethanol is worse for the environment. Of course. <laughs> you producing food over there. So that, kind of the... Don't want you doing that. <laughs> yeah, so... The big summary is, although the agendas line up with trying to prevent ethanol from being the fuel of the future, the technology also doesn't line up. It's, uh, they're, the, <laughs> the globalists are fighting a battle they don't even need to be fighting. <laughs> right, right. I don't, honestly, to be fair, because, like, I know they had multiple fuel sources for, like, the original vehicles that were coming out, and I just don't think ethanol stood out any greater than like you know like kerosene or diesel or like gasoline or like whatever the the alternatives were in like the early 20th century or something like that like i just don't see it like this conspiracy to get it under control back then and yeah i think it's funny though that they keep pointing out well farmland it's destroying the world (laughs) farming is killing us all so yeah i'm not buying it i'm not buying this conspiracy very much sorry Josh. i was somebody trying to make an argument that like more farming is worse than more cars on the road <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and with that we have you need to know what science discovered you need to know today whether it's space or bones uncovered it's definitely fake and gay Scientists have discovered a rice-meat hybrid could be what's for dinner. <laughs> Back on this this notion that to save the planet we need to start far we need to stop farming land to produce food for everyone. That's going to save everyone instead of kill them. So scientists have a new take on lab-grown meat, which infuses cow cells into rice grains. Now, they have a picture of this stuff, and it is terrifying looking. <laughs> it looks like... It, it looks like pink, mushy rice. Yeah. It, no, no, it looks v- like... Vaguely pink, mushy rice. No, Josh, it looks like if someone took a like a human brain and then put it through a meat grinder to turn it into like a, a ground meat. That's what it looks like. It looks horrifying. So, the guy who created it, said it tastes delicious uh nutty and a little sweet <laughs> uh from the huh. from the lab in seoul south korea uh lab made beefy rice isn't ready for dinner table uh, for the dinner table just yet but uh it could one day offer a more sustainable way to eat meat so current methods for producing is, meat. Is, so is there some yeah is ahead. there some benefit to so so we have ways to lab produce meat but is there a benefit to growing it like in rice? Does it produce more quickly then? Does it like produce extra protein? Like like how they produce a bunch of medicines and uh and different chemicals by attaching it to bacteria because bacteria reproduce so quickly they can produce more quickly then. Like is that what's going on here where if they they put the meat cells into rice it'll repro- it'll reproduce more quickly than they can do it in the lab? Well, it actually they're using like the rice itself as more of like a lattice or like a structure for the protein and enzymes to get into and then start growing around. So that's kind of the idea behind it. Uh, it, it's kind of like okay. they want to they want to grow meat, but it, 
but but just doing the growing of the meat by itself like is producing less oh. desirable results than if you were to kind of like fill yeah, okay. the 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 protein or I'm sorry like fill like a starchy thing with the protein to kind of like give it more substance um it's more of an improved method rather than a like or like trying to create an improved product rather than improving the method or speed or anything like that right the the rice acts as a scaffold that supports the growth of the fat or muscle cells together the ingredient form a rice meat hybrid that steams up to a pinkish brown mash mush yeah so they could have used the word other than mush like the sentence was going just fine and then they said mush (laughs) No, 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 I said mush. They said mash. Oh. But I'm not, yeah, well, I'm not way. going anywhere near qualifying that as, like, you know, taters and mash or anything like that. That's how dare you they. Know, yeah, in the future when we don't have teeth anymore because we drink too much fluoride, then we'll be able to uh, just we'll be able to eat this, this mash. Yeah, so they go on, they're like, well, cow farts, bad. Farming, bad. All this stuff, bad. Um, So what they do... Uh, they coated the rice grains with fish gelatin in, uh, and enzymes and then added cow cells to each grain. The fishy coating helped the cells stick and grow inside the grain, and the rice offers a 3D structure for cells to cling to, like veins uh, climbing uh, a trellis. Vines. Vines, I'm sorry. Uh, the structure that gives uh, cultured cells uh, a more meat-like heft, Park says, on their own. The cell grows... Yeah, like I said, on their own, the cell grows in thin, flat layers. So, fucking something completely disgusting that you wouldn't want to be eating. So, here's the caveat. Nutritionally, the hybrid rice is more sizzle than steak with just 8% more protein than conventional rice. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Conventional rice? So, like When I first read this, I saw 8 it's like, oh, oh, it's got like, you know, eight grams more per serving or something. Eight <laughs> percent more. Um, rice has rice barely has any protein to begin with. Exactly. <laughs> there, there are grains out there that have protein in them. <laughs> like, just eat those. They're going to have like three times as much as this lab abomination. <laughs> wow, this is Josh saying this, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, right. So all this all this research for for nothing when you can just switch to a different grain and get get much more protein out of it. So um See, that's, that's okay, that that's the problem with modern uh you know, food science is like so in other in other things we have um you know like social sciences and the psycho- psychology is being ruined by people who believe in iq like that's that's ruining those so we need to get rid of them of course um and uh the you know um theoretical physics is getting destroyed by people who deny string theory because that's where we should be putting all of our resources uh, mm-hmm. food sciences is being destroyed by bug deniers why are we allowing bug deniers to have positions in these labs and uh, <laughs> universities and be able to propagate their anti-bug beliefs when the solution for more protein in the future is, uh, well, hopefully present, is in, right in front of us and has been the whole time? No, don't do that, Josh. Like, think of, uh, like, think of whatever million-dollar grant went into this that could have been spent on improving the efficiency of maggot farming. Oh, come on. I hate you. 
I, for the love of God, hope they figure out this rice meat protein mush so Josh doesn't get his wet dream of everyone eating bug protein for the rest of their lives and drinking fluorinated water. But, okay, that's it for that. And we do have some voicemails, which we always do at the end of the show. So, first up. How am I just now hearing that Biden is actually Jim Carrey in a mask? Like, I know the mask thing, but apparently a lot of people have been saying it's Jim Carrey. And uh, I just, I believe this now. This is canon. How do do we apply to be biden's body double it seems like just anyone can be these days i mean does jim carrey have dementia or something i don't get it <laughs> why <are> we, <laughs> yeah why? that's also like why'd you I, I feel like this is a plot point from the movie the mask that i'm just <laughs> missing here no it's just a concept of there's a conspiracy theory that biden wears a, like you know someone else is wearing a mask of biden to be biden and stuff like that but it's like biden's just a a fumbling old retard 100% of the time. So it's like, why would an actor wearing a mask of Biden be acting like a dawdling fool? Right? That's the line of reasoning. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's Jim Jim Carrey, like, he he failed at his dream role, his dream method acting role in Man of the Moon to be... Oh, I'm blanking his name. The, 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 whatever, you know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah. he, he failed at that role. So he's trying to get his second chance for the perfect retard method acting role to be biden like he he's been chasing this for the last 30 years and he might finally achieve something that <laughs> that convinces the american audience um <laughs> just superb uh, performance yeah maybe it's his comeback maybe it's like yeah some like inverse truman show <laughs> that he's doing <laughs> <laughs> his grand opus he wants to be the actor yeah <laughs> All right, we got one more. Yeah, I don't know if cornstarch gives you diabetes, but it has corn in it, so I'm going to go ahead and say it gives you diabetes. Well, it's definitely not helping anything. <laughs> Wait, so we have just have like five things terrible with corn. Firstly, the farming ruins the environment. <laughs> Secondly, the fuel's not even any good. And thirdly, it gives you diabetes. Like, why are we even farming corn anymore? What's right. with these corn subsidies? We gotta get the fuck out of the corn business for sure. I'm I'm totally down with this one actually. I don't know, dude. When Trump said Mexico wasn't sending their best, he meant their corn. Fuck off, <laughs> your your invasive species. What we do to avoid eating cane sugar? Jesus Christ! Like we hate Latin Americans so much that we'll fucking oil refine like high fructose corn syrup out of fucking corn. And give it to us rather than just like go to South America and get some some fresh sugar cane. It's insane. Like, well, we need more corn. We got corn farmers. Like, fucking grow something else, you retards. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And with that, most versatile plant in all of existence. <laughs> and it's not even good. I don't even like corn. I don't. Corn on the cob. Nice once in a while. Like once a year. Fine. Whatever. But like, no. For the most part, corn's not great. It's not a great ingredient. You gonna back me up on that one? I, I can't disagree. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, thank God. Uh, yeah, it, you're you're onto something here, Bob. It's highly overrated. We should get it out of the supermarkets. It's killing the planet. We have to save the planet, save our children from getting diabetes, and save the UK from their teeth fucking rotting out of their skulls. 
All right. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Whatever. Fuck this shit. I have a PlayStation raincoat. You've got mail. What the fuck? Don't tell me you don't like my show.